Hey there, Elson here. Here on Coffeinated, we like to talk about success stories. However, the underdog stories that really paint a picture of overcoming odds and hardships are really something we like to highlight. That's why we embrace these stories. Sometimes success means focusing on one thing and never stopping until you get it. Sometimes it takes time too. Sometimes it takes 15 years. And today we'll hear a story exactly like that here at Courtyard by Marriott Iliilo. It's time to wake up and smell the coffee. Let's get you coffeinated. Fifteen years is exactly how long it took Francis Allen Angelo, the editor-in-chief of Daily Guardian, to go back to school and resume his pursuit of a degree in political science. He will be graduating as part of UPV Batch 2021 dropping out of college at the age of 23 and working the police and military beat as a reporter to make ends meet and eventually becoming the editor-in-chief of the most innovative media outlet in Western Visayas. It's quite the story. Today, we'll hear this exact story from the man himself, someone who normally tells the stories of others. Uh, well, going through that intro actually got me a little bit emotional because uh, you were there, me growing up, you were there. Kind of grew up together in a sense. Uh, you were... I didn't even care about you first day you were there. I didn't even probably bother to remember your name. But now here we are after, what, almost 20 years? 20 years? Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. Do you even remember the first day you had at Daily Guardian? Um, of course, I know. the interview thing was something. Uh, at that time, we still had... Yeah, no, the old editor-in-chief, uh, Lemuel Celebria. So, the usual interview until I got to your dad, uh, our fund, founding publisher, Lem, uh, Sir Lemuel Fernandez. And, uh, of course, I mean, you know, when you apply for a reporter's job, you have to present some kind of an output or a sample work. So, I think I wrote something, a, a column or an opinion piece. Then when he read it, your dad, Sir Lemuel, the very first question that he asked me is, are you a rebel? Are you an NPA? <laughs> so I was startled. Something that's very uh, contemporarily an issue. Yeah, I <laughs> think uh, maybe he, he caught on that I was from UP and, you know, the, the, the mentality of the UP, people from UP. So. so he said, okay, you start t- tomorrow and we'll see. So that's it. Uh, I submitted a, a, a one story, story for the community page. Then uh, the editor-in-chief at the time, LSC, told me that these stories are just for the inside sections. Uh, bring me something that's actually for the, the first hmm. two, three pages of the paper because they needed uh, more hard news. So they assigned me to the police beat, which is usually the, uh, the incubation uh, area of cub reporters. Uh, police and military beat. So it started there and until they moved me around City Hall, Capitol, and uh, the rest is history, and I'm here. So you've really gone through, you know, all of the stages of being a reporter, being assigned this and that, having to find your own stories. Mm-hmm. But throughout this process, right, throughout the years that you were working there, have you ever thought of going back to education? Was that always the goal? Um, yeah, I, because when I... First, uh, no, uh, applied for Daily, uh, Daily Guardian, the Guardian at that time. I uh, was thinking that this was just a tra- transition thing, a temporary thing, maybe a year or two, something to do. Uh, in the meantime, 
Well, you'll find another thing. Yeah, and or then go back to school. Because I was just trying to, you know, um, try to find my direction if I'm going to continue sa UP or maybe move to another school. But it so happened that um, when I actually ano, took the upcut, uh, my choice of course was, of course, was uh, journalism in Diliman. But since uh, Diliman, journalism in Diliman is a quota course, I was forced to cross reds to UP Visayas, uh, political science, because I cannot wait for an open slot in Diliman. I might, I might, not, be, I might not be able to enroll anymore. So that's it. Uh, but really, my passion really partly was political science. And then, uh, I don't know, journalism. And then uh, my dad wanted me to be a lawyer. So when I crossed to UP Visayas, I, it's, it, the natural thing for me to take was political science. So that's it. Uh, I dropped out in 2002. Uh, I found UP really shocking. But I stayed for six years before dropping out. And... Uh, I worked for Daily Guardian from 2002 to present, and it was actually in 2017 when 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 my wife Arian um, earned her master's degree, also in UP. This time from the College of Management. Yeah, uh, her baccalaureate degree in marketing is also she also got from UP, so she took her master's also from UP, uh, public management, and I said, God, I envy her so much. She has two two degrees from UP. Uh, so if she can do it, despite her busy work as, as well, I already have some sort of leverage maybe in resources and time. So I think I can do it. So I said I only, I examined the, uh, my syllabus or my course you know, uh, outline and I said I only have like 60 plus more units to take. So that's how many subjects spread over like two, three years. I can do this and, and uh, um, by God's mercy, so I was able to, you know, inch my way into all those subjects. I have to take some other subjects because of the new curriculum. And uh, right now, I'm just trying to finish my you know, research work or what you call thesis in order to get away. How, impor- how important is it for you to get a degree? Um, it's not really about the degree, actually. It's more like, you know, um, for one, maybe it's the degree, but second, it's like trying to refresh my mind. Uh, uh, you know, journalism has a way of, you know, um, putting that kind of mentality, that kind of sometimes ano, uh, intellectual gung ho in you, that sometimes mm-hmm. you think you know a lot of things because you talk to a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, you come across a lot of uh, events, etc., etc. But when you go back to school, oops, there's a certain, ano, um, the, the academe will always, oops, this is actually uh, uh, things from another perspective. It challenges your notion on things, right? It makes you want to expand your perspective. Yeah. Uh, for example, when I talk to law students like you or lawyers or even judges, they tell you things that you never knew that was there. Then expand your mind. So that is also you know, one motivation that I have to go back to school, maybe refresh my perspective. Uh, things may have changed in the past 15 years that I was out of the university. So. I think personally, more from more than the personal reason, it could uh, also help me in my work in journalism. So when Mr. Fernandez interviewed you and asked you if you were a P- uh, an, an NPA, first question is, are you? Were you? Um, well, they tried. I mean, a lot of groups who are allegedly linked to this, mm-hmm. they tried to, know, to, to influence me, uh, maybe to go their way. But uh, in UP, they, they have this term barbarian. I was not with any fraternity. 
I had I joined some academic groups. I flipped from one from the left to the right. <laughs> That's the most controversial thing I did in UP Visayas. But uh, I think I I I saw myself as another kind of activist, not necessarily the rebellious one, but someone who just you know uh, who will not hesitate to criticize or. The thing with the uh, activism and NPA thing with UP, right? It's so. Uh, the idea is that if you're in UP, you're already an NPA. Why do you think that is? First question. Second question is there is, uh, let's admit it, there are UP students who've gone to NPA, and these are schools where that are uh, targets of the NPA, right? So, one, why do you think that there is this stigma for UP students? Two, why do you think that even the NPA people want to recruit from UP? Number one, it has something to do with uh, the history of the university itself. Na because of its uh, ano, um, academic freedom, where ideas are... It's a free-for-all thing that people can... Espouse. The marketplace of ideas. Yeah, right? so it's natural for... Ano, maybe for the rebels. It's even natural for the fascists to get their own kind from the university. It's not just the, ano, the communists. But maybe because uh, UP... UP tried to, ano, um, you know, the notion that UP is for the people. It's not the government. It's not a government institution. It's the university of the people. And uh, because of that, you know, a degree of academic freedom that uh, certain forces, maybe from the left or the right, they want to get people from UP because of the way we, you know, the way we think, the way we We're free thinkers. We're, yeah, free, we're thinkers. free thinkers. So if I'm leftist and you're rightist, we can coexist in 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 you know, in, in in a community, but we must remember that uh, in the seventies, or particularly during the you know, the height of martial, or even before that, uh, UP already saw uh, how things are uh, under the Marcos regime, and you, I think UP people just cannot you know, uh, let things go by or just yes. unfold uh, when people are getting killed or getting hurt or their rights are trampled. From my experience with UP, because uh, I also graduated from UP, I also went to UP Law. I've never actually gone to any rally except for the Marcos Burial. But uh, from my experience uh, with people going to rallies, it's not really about rallying per se. Because it doesn't, that's what people see. But it's mostly about how you view things and the way you look at how things unfold. In UP, you're taught to be open-minded, to be tolerant, and even to try and see different viewpoints. And the problem with the way that we've been pigeonholed into this uh, being activists or, or being NPA is that it's, it's a myopic view of things because uh, there are very few that actually do become NPA people or become activists in general. Uh, but at the same time, it's also simply because uh, it's being highlighted by the media, by our role, right? Because the people that want to point that the spotlight on UP, for example, always talk about UP. Yeah. And the media then has to cover these people that te- keep talking about UP, like Secretary Harry Roque, who is also from UP, by yeah. the way. So there is a certain sense, a participation by the media to, a little, to in a way, portray UP as this. So do you take a little bit of responsibility for the stigma that is being shown UP or do you think that it's actually organically because of UP's culture in itself? Again, I will go back to the organic nature or the very, you know, uh, the molecules of UP. It's atom, uh, even at the atomic level that people from UP will always speak out. And of course, people from the media, journalists will always, you know, 
of, of listen and seek out people from UP because it's UP. I mean, it's not just um, the community of uh, uh, theories or political scientists, even you know, the hard sciences and medicine. So it's it it, it talk it it it, ano, it's, it has something to ano, um, pang, uh, it has something to do with the reputation of UP as you know the community of uh, a lot of intellectuals regardless of the spectrum that they belong to and siguro and maybe journalists should also try to contextualize uh, what people from UP are saying because maybe an economist will criticize economic policies of the government, but they're not necessarily along the Marxist line mm. or the you know yes, yes. communist oh. thing. They may be Keynesian or Malthusian or uh, purely capitalist or just another capital ka, ano, capitalist intellectual uh, criticizing the existing capitalist system. So that's it. And something we have to understand is that not all criticism actually originates from UP, right? Only that... Uh... It's uh, if a UP person does it, suddenly yeah. something clicks with yeah. the government that has to be attacking them for being from UP. But speaking about the media in general, right? As you mentioned earlier, have having twenty years of experience from the bottom all the way to the top. Can you talk about the struggles that you've had, the learnings that you've had in experiencing society from the lens of somebody who's going to report it to other people? That was the challenge because um, number one, uh, you're required to submit a certain number of stories a day. Then every story has to go to the ringer, hmm. especially with your dad. <laughs> yeah, well, I am. Well, I mean, Mr. Fernandez has been known to be yeah, quite because, of a. Because he himself went to the ringer. <laughs> I mean, as a journalist. So it's just not natural that his experience, he, he transposes it to the next generation because. Uh, it's not really perfection, but it's actually you know um, being meticulous with your work because as a journalist, your 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 currency it will always say that your currency is credibility. If you can even spell your own name right, where's your credibility? Credibility. Uh, credibility. See so, the way you're talking now, I can hear his voice inside <laughs> my head. Yeah, so, those are the things that the uh, no, uh, he taught me. I, I, PTSD, <laughs> <laughs> but not uh, well. I've heard stories about that, but. Me, okay, yeah, just another day in the office. I, I take things in stride. Uh, so, I learned, I mean, and I stopped saying sorry when I went under your father's tutelage. I said, because, you know, why say sorry when you can do things better? So, don't say sorry. Don't even say sorry to yourself. Just try, take note of your mistakes and do it right uh, the next time around. Don't say sorry because sorry is just so, uh, just worthless. Or it doesn't solve words. the problem. It will not solve the problem. So, Okay, just nod your head. Then next time, do do better. And in, with, with journalism, also, it's it's a thankless job. It's a thankless job. You, I mean, you, you you try to you know uh, report on things because the context is public welfare, public good, uh, maybe community service, community service. And sometimes you end up at you you you, you, you I know you find yourself at the end of you know criticisms or you know uh, whatever because you reported on this. And it's more, uh, it's more, it's stronger nowadays because of social media, because you know the reach and frequency, and the and the viral thing. We'll we'll talk about social media later, but talk about your perspective from entering first day, about how you were with regard to your view of the media. What about now? Um, at that time, 
we just thought of reporting things. Uh, who, what, when, where. The basics. Basics. But as, personally, as I went through the job, I realized that, okay, this is easy. you know. But the story is sometimes just not there. What about the why and how? So, even my writing style had to change from that the usual you know, style or the usual mode of writing to you know, storytelling, narration. Uh, I had to read uh, Time Magazine and some other you know, uh, international news uh, outlets in order to get that feel of how it is to tell the story of why and how things are you know, happening. Uh, that is what I also wanted to, you know, to, to you know, do in Iloilo journalism, especially uh, the reporters who I worked with before. And I think they're using that. And even now, uh, well, you can always get the, the basics, but you know, it's harder to go deeper into the how and why. So that is my training in Daily Guardian. I would describe it the way it is. And even until now, which is very, I think, that kind of pers- uh, uh, no, um, perception or mindset is more important nowadays. Now, throughout the years, you you are you are a bit of a. Would you consider yourself part of the old guard right now? Yeah, I would. I have to admit. How old are you? I'm I'm almost I'm over forty. Over forty, but okay. Yeah, I'm over forty, <laughs> honestly, and I must admit, let's ad- let's just uh, no, let's just address the elephant in the room. That I'm a dinosaur already. <laughs> These same kind of things. That's why when I mean, I know you and your your own Lawrence were a bit, you know. Our current publisher was right there, right now, yeah. looking, staring bullets <laughs> into him as he's answer, he's uh, answering this question. I don't know if uh if my if if my 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 the words I'm going to use is correct. Maybe pressured or you know surprised that you had to you know, to help out in the paper because. I was. I always wanted to tell your, you know, your dad, Sir Lemuel, that you should come in because I really cannot, uh, no, uh, take the pressure anymore of doing the the usual editorial operations than the the online, you know, the, the platforms, because technically, believe me, I'm just a dinosaur when it comes to this thing. So I was. Your heart is writing and reporting. Yeah, I, I can I write a lot of stories. Yeah, instantly or long form but when it comes to social media particularly the technical side the graphic side uh, oh I'm sorry take uh, I'm sorry I'm sorry I cannot do that so I was actually you know uh, jubilating <laughs> when you came in you guys especially your, your team because I think Daily Guardian is uh, the perspective journalism is there I mean any reporter who works for us we will train them the way we want them to do the news. But with social media, with the current you know, model, business-wise or reporting-wise, uh, we need fresh blood. And uh, I, was actually, you know, I was very happy when you came. And now, as editor-in-chief and going back to school, with uh, working a full-time job, then working, uh, and then working on graduating, there's two things, right? Because in your full-time job, so many people are depending on you as the leader. And then you're, you have to go to Miyagao. You used to have to go to yeah. Miyagao. Yeah. So there was that challenge. And now, the world throws a pandemic in your face. They kind of don't want you to graduate, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so how, is that, how is it like going through that experience? Actually, I, know, I was thinking that the pandemic was a bad thing for my you know, studies. 
it turned out to be actually okay mm. because of the distance learning thing. You didn't have to go to Miyaga. Okay? Yeah, and you know what? Um, after returning to Miyaga to UP, a lot of friends, a lot of professors were actually telling me, "Graduate now, do it fast." And when the pandemic hit and enrollment came, they were actually the ones, "Oh, you go enroll now." I mean, you you process your papers, send it to me, I'll take care of it. I think I don't know. Maybe it's the leverage that comes with work, <laughs> or maybe they just saw the sincerity on my part that you have to, as you said, you have to travel one or uh, two hours back and forth from the city to Miyagao to attend classes. And uh, they said, if this guy really wants to graduate, then let him have, graduate. Yeah, let him graduate. Then uh, a little secret that when they ask favors, not necessarily along the line of my work. Mm. Daily Guardian, but I also try to help, so it's a tit for that thing. It's a community thing, you know. We help you, help me, I help you. Yeah. That's the good thing about UP. Mm. Yeah, we're we really take care of our there. own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now uh, uh, we're gonna start leaving UP now, and we're gonna talk more about what you think is the future of journalism, especially here in the regional areas in Iloilo City. What do you think uh, the role of uh, other media entities that have risen now mm-hmm. via social media are? And finally, what do you think is the future of innovation of Daily Guardian, considering that we've now raised the bar and how it has affected everybody right after the break? So welcome back to Coffeinated, and we're back here with our guest, uh, Francis Adan Angelo, the editor-in-chief of Daily Guardian, and currently a student at UP Visayas. Now, you have been in the industry for 20 years. You have watched us grow old together. I don't know what your perspective has been on the uh, shift to the digital age. You said earlier that you were really excited about it, but it's really just a reaction, right? the shift now is really just a reaction to the audience, to the community, to the public. The shift to social media, for example, has, uh, for me, I always say in all the talks that I give, it has decentralized the media industry. Mm. No longer do we have the monopoly of information and data and reporting and platform. So how do you feel about everybody seemingly becoming journalists in this information age? Mm, It's a double-edged sword, I think. Number one, uh, we have we get to have a lot of sources because everybody's somehow interested to report on something, share something. At the same time, uh, we are fearful or concerned with the lack of the vetting process of the information that floods us. Uh, you don't know if the video is actually really fresh. Maybe it's something that was just being rehashed for the purpose of what we don't know. So that's the, you know, that's the thing with the, the current situation, with the dis- diffusion of news sources and control of information. Uh, unlike before that, we have uh, media barons, uh, publishers who own the newspapers, TV networks, who control what comes out of our screen. Nowadays, if you look at Facebook, Twitter, and everything, everybody is a journalist. Mm. Everybody claims to be a reporter, an opinion maker. Uh, so it's a good thing for democracy. 
the purest form of democracy. But from the perspective of a grizzled journalist, it there are a lot of things that I'm very fearful about. Now, uh, because of social media as well and everybody having a platform, everybody has an, a platform for their opinion. And uh, what I've seen is that uh, there's been a greater stage for conflict, for discussion and for conflict. Like even just the Daily Guardian page, every time we post something about a certain political side. Let's say we post about uh, or we report about uh, the administration, the Duterte administration. We're instantly flooded by attacks. Like I remember there were we were flooded by messages where people were telling us, well, we're going to unfollow Daily Guardian, mm-hmm. you know. As if like uh, we were, it would have had any effect. Like we were going to unfollow Daily Guardian because they, why are you keep why do you keep attacking the administration? And when we attack, uh, we we don't attack. When we report about uh, uh, other things that are not related to the administration or to the opposition yeah. of the administration, we're then attacked as DDS, right? Yeah. So, what has been your experience? Because now, before feedback came to you in coffee shops. Now, as long as you post it, it's there immediately. Um, in the initial stages, I was really shocked until it came to a point that I stopped reading the comments. Mm, you stopped caring. I mean, it's not that I don't care, but <laughs> it's one way of coping with it. I mean, yeah, you look at cursorily, then okay, bye. I miss the days when people talked about or discussed the news in coffee shops. I mean, it's an intellectual thing nowadays. If, if, if you don't use the F word, if you don't drop the F bomb, it's as if you cannot comment on news and you, you label people a certain corner. Even if we are just reporting. Uh, did you, I mean, during those threats that they were trying to unlike, that they will unlike us, did you even see the numbers go, go red Stop. in our likes? I think we even got more followers. Mm. Because maybe for one guy who unfollowed us, five more, five or even more replaced the, replaced the guy. So, uh, that's the funny thing with, with social media, uh, especially when journalism is embedded in, in, in social media because you either just cry your heart out or just laugh or maybe just don't give a damn and just do your thing, do your, do your job. And I think that is where we journalists should really focus on. And the comments will be there. People will always label us or paint us to, in, in, uh, to a corner. But uh, still, we must not lose sight or lose focus that our primary primary job is to report in the proper context so that people will understand the issue. If they refuse to understand and they have their own opinion, then they're free to you know, say otherwise, but they cannot stop us from doing our job. The interesting thing about uh, the comments, right, the instant feedback, the mechanism is to- installed by social media is that uh, recently, I don't know if it's recently, but uh, there have been politicians or big personalities with big uh, larger-than-life egos <laughs> that have uh, threatened you, personally threatened the paper hmm. with uh, bodily harm, death threats every day. Yeah. How has that felt to you? How do you deal with these things? Um, I was even more afraid of the threats I got uh, when social before social media became the thing in journalism. Mm. Because I'll tell you a story... Five years into my job, I wrote a very controversial story involving a politician in a, a family mm. who had a business interest in a certain part of the city. And 
after writing that story, I think three days after, somebody told me, okay, um, these people are after you because of the story that you wrote. I was surprised because, uh, but don't worry, we asked them that not to touch you because you're just doing your job. But of course, I did not, you know, I, I did not uh, lower my guard because at that time, I know they were very serious because knowing that group, were after me at that time they were capable and they were they, they had were, a reputation yeah and they were willing to do it so nowadays in facebook maybe they will threaten you just maybe to um, go make you you know squirm hmm. or discourage you but i think uh, those guys who threaten journalists before social media became the thing are more serious than people in you know, now it's a spectator sport. Yeah, it's a spectator sport. They just try to ridicule you. They just trying to uh, make you squirm in your seat or discourage you to do things or do your reporting. Uh, but of course, we cannot. Uh, uh, we cannot lower our guard still because, you know, because of this uh, this viral nature of social media. Uh, if somebody fakes your account, uh, creates a fake account. Ah uh, yes, we were recently the victims of an yeah. attack then it's being attributed to you. The damage is that, reputation-wise, of course, the damage is great. But the bigger danger is that when people get mad at you because of those uh, things that these fake accounts are you know, saying or posting on Facebook, uh, bodily harm will come your way. They will just uh, run after you, thinking maybe thinking that fake account is actually yours, when in fact it's not. No. There have been so many difficulties already with journalism throughout your time, even before social media. There have been, you have said earlier that it's a thankless job, right? And there have been so many struggles and threats and difficulties. Today, do you think that journalism is still a viable career? It should be. And I think it is. And it should be. Because with a lot of you know platforms, a lot of people trying to define news, uh, control the commentary, control commentaries. There's even what you call the left and right media, and the centrist media. I mean, in the political spectrum, is not is now being applied to journalists. In fact, you know, uh, it's natural for biases. My bias. Uh, people, people, even journalists will always have bias. It's very human. Uh, the demand of journalism is that fairness and balance. And I think universities should still, should actually give more focus on improving uh, uh, the curriculum in journalism and communities. Maybe in Iloilo, the business community, everybody should actually help their local community or the local press. Because uh, well-trained journalists who have the proper perspective in appreciating news and issues will be the best counter or counterweight to this disinformation and misinformation that mm. we're suffering or encountering in social media. So what do you think about the training of journalists now, especially with new reporters coming in in Daily Guardian? Has, do you think uh, that the curriculum has been the same since you yeah. retired to time immemorial? In some schools, it's pretty technical. I mean, grammar... Style, uh, the rubric thing or rubric style of teaching. This is feature story. This is news story. This is opinion writing. But I think 
<clears throat> we need more niche reporters. Hmm. People who are good in business who can write about business. Hmm. People who are good about in, in politics who will write about politics. Science. Especially science or maybe uh, even medicine. So, for example, I will not hesitate to hire a medicine graduate or a nursing graduate to write for the paper if I think their education or background is useful to the paper. Engineers? Well, sometimes they say engineers are, you know, um, are, are grammatically challenged, but a lot of engineers can write very good. It's just a te technical thing, but what I want from the engineers is the appreciation of their work, which are actually, you know, you know uh, uh, part, part of our everyday lives. The roads that we use, buildings. The same with economists who want to be, become reporters or columnists. Uh, their perspective will provide us you know, a better picture of the news. Guess, right. yeah. Niche now, for perspective reporting. Now, for me, it's been a struggle growing up, especially when uh, I don't know if when I was born, my father was already my father was already part of the media. Uh, I used to fall asleep to the sound of printing presses. Yeah. My brother and I did. And then we used to wake up to the smell of fresh, uh, freshly printed uh, paper. But uh, being as my father was very recognizable in the media, he was president of the press club like I don't know how many times. Uh, I always thought I should also follow in that path as a journalist. But he always told me, no, don't. <laughs> he always said, there is no money in journalism. There is no money in journalism. Yeah. As a father, you don't need to take journalism to be a journalist. Yeah, I believe so. And uh, even just growing up, I've been to many press conferences. <laughs> and uh, I'm quite the veteran at press conferences. I've attended since I was grade 2 school all the way to high school. Hall of Famer. <laughs> and there were... It's, it's been the same since I was elementary school, right? This is why I ask you if you think uh, it's the same in college or if they've changed it up a bit. Because in press conferences i was told like i still remember this it's news it's not news if a dog bites a man mm. but it's news if a man bites a dog every single person who's gone to at least two press conferences will hear this statement and it always drove me crazy it's like listen anymore <laughs> yeah right so what do you think about you know how will you how will you change the curriculum because it feels to me and I don't know if that's the experience you've found with all of the people that you've trained over the years. It feels to me like it's be everybody's phoning it in. There's no sense of reform to improve the industry in this sense. It's not contemporarily uh, matching today's problems. Yeah. Um, I think schools, especially those in journalism, should um, mo uh, dedicate more resources on in-depth reporting or investigative journalism. Instead of just the technical format yeah, reporting. I mean, you learn grammar when you're in elementary. Even, <laughs> even at your home, you can learn grammar. It's a very easy thing. But I think, especially in universities, because universities are reputed to be you know, areas or communities for specialization. Mm. Uh, forget about grammar in journalism. Mm. Get rid of that. Uh, journalism schools should re-examine what's happening in mainstream media. Why is it that there is what you call the leftist, leftist media and rightist media or centrist uh, journalists? Examine what their works, then address that by, okay, journalists are supposed to be, to be reporters with the proper perspective. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if, if the story is about you know, the pandemic, 
you just don't just dish out you know numbers how many sick how many died how many recovered but what is you know the community doing about it how are they feeling how are they feeling uh, aside from those who are getting sick or infected there are other people who are affected by the pandemic in some other way mentally emotionally economically so those things na uh, as a journalist you just don't uh, you know box yourself in what they have been teaching us in the last 100 years of journalism or even more um, we must re-examine ourselves especially in the context of disinformation and misinformation then uh, the training of future journalists should be okay uh, rely on more on research uh, talk to the experts and uh, you know uh, examine every bit of story that you know uh, that are motivated by maybe politics by I don't know personal things but I think that's how I perceive news nowadays actually the way uh, I just had this thought as you were going through your uh, discussion the thing is, uh, journalism is not just about reporting what's happening, right? It's not just about reporting what's happening. It's reframing or recontextualizing the experience. <laughs> so for example, we, are all, we all know that there's a pandemic. We all know that every day there are people getting sick and getting diagnosed and, you know, the numbers are there. Mm. But what does it mean? What yeah. does it mean? Like, what do these numbers mean? Like, how is it affecting people? We need to... Uh, look at the mindset of connecting a person to the to the event, hmm. right? Because the event, the person is looking at the at the elephant really closely. Mm-hmm. That it can't see the whole elephant. If you stand too close to an elephant, you can't see the whole elephant, right? But journalism allows them to take a step back and see the larger picture of things. So if you're just giving them numbers, the focus is on just that. Yeah. So what about the visceral connections, the happenings between people, their families, right? So I do believe, and I think uh, uh, we are very welcome in helping to change this curriculum, especially with all the people that have gone through. I, I got an invitation from a university professor, uh, UP man, um, about to speak about misinformation and disinformation in Visayas, and mm. he said that's a very tall order, tall, tall order for me. I mean, a very big, a big thing for me to do. But I had to you know, accept the invitation, if ever, if only to tell them that okay, uh, guys, you know, what, stop teaching grammar to your journalism students. Yes, you can learn that from your home, even you, even 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 before you step. You know, attend school. <laughs> it should be you know, a home thing. Uh, this is our problem. Um, everybody or anybody can just put up a news outlet and claim that okay, we're telling the truth, we're telling the untold. Uh, this is these are the real stories. But come to think of it, uh, every uh, the story that they put out are just you know motivated by something else. So we have we have to address that. We have to address that. And uh, to be honest, you know, people just gotta be nicer to us, journalists. Nah. <laughs> you just gotta be nicer to us, right? But here's a to uh, to relieve the tension a little bit. I'm gonna tell you a story. I don't know if you remember this, but it's been it's been like what more than ten years. I was in high school then. It was 2010, like more than ten years. Now I'm going to uh, I'll let you talk in a little bit. But uh, uh, again, with my father, Mr. Lemuel Fernandez, who's been one of the most recognizable people in the media in the past how many decades now. Uh, he's trained everybody. Or at some point in time, he's worked with everybody. Now we had this uh, press conference 
at the I don't know what hotel it was, but it was a PIA. Mm. Uh, PIA where they had the most promising journalists and all that. And I always used to join. Now, when I joined, because of how popular my father was, there were all the judges would know who I was. Not even as a journalist, just as my father's son. Because I used to go with him to his meetings. They just know my <laughs> face yeah. and all that. Now, every judge used to speak, right? They used to speak. I'm like, ah, Crescent. <laughs> and they go down the stage. Yeah. They literally go down the stage to shake my hand. Mm-hmm. Oh, regards, ke papa. I'm all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. please go away. Way to be lying to you. Huh? Yeah. I'm like, please go away. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm just here as a regular kid trying to. I'm just a student here. Yeah, I'm just a student here. And because I felt every eye of every other campus journalist, like, oh, staring. staring at me, like, who is this kid? It looks good, Gilly. And then, uh, uh, so every single one of them did that, right? They would acknowledge me in some way or form or fashion. The last speaker, the last judge was you for editorial. <laughs> for editorial. Now, we come in, we see you, I, I talk to you and all that. Because I'm like, hey, I, I should, you know, pay respect to my elders. Uh, yeah. And then I sit down. Now, right as they call your name, before you go up the stage, you pass by me to shake my hand. And then you go up the stage to give your talk. And then as you're giving your talk, you say something like, uh, ah, the, these principles were taught to me by my mentor who is the father of uh, Elson Fernandez who's yeah. there in the st- uh, who's there. And I'm like, FYI. shut up, shut up. And it just gave me so much pressure to you know, uh, live to that standard. And then the funniest part of all of this, everybody was always... I was already looking at me really mm-hmm. tense, right? And I was like, okay, I'm just going to mind my own business. <laughs> and then uh, I just won every award. <laughs> and when I won every award, I was like, I don't even know if I deserve this award. I'll just go <laughs> up the stage. And then you were the last one to give the final award, the most promising, all that. And you know how you give the award, you shake the hand and you take a photo like this. But when you give the award... You gave me the certificate, then you hugged me, and then you did this. And I, and I, was, uh, and I was just smiling like an idiot. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. That's very understood. I'm just going to say, I hated you for doing that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't know. But um, if, anybody, I mean, if anybody else, maybe if the, uh, I know one of the students there, I would actually know. Here, here's my question, though. Did I win... Because I deserved it, or did I win because uh, my last name is Fernandez? Um, it's a catch twenty-two thing. <laughs> if you did not win, it means uh, you're no, you're 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 you're, uh, no, you're I not suck your so father's much son. That my father said yeah, no, yeah, yeah, not yeah. you're not your father's son. <laughs> if you won and you did, you did win. Ah, the judges are you know, are in this uh, corner. But you know. Speaking honestly, though, speaking honestly, I when I was checking the papers, I I cannot, I don't know whose paper I'm checking, if it's yours or somebody else. To be, know, to be honest. Okay, I'm vindicated. Ten years later or something, I'm vind- I won those awards. Every single person that looked at me, I won those awards. And <laughs> there was, there was, I know, there, not your time, maybe some other, know, conference. Uh, somebody put a, mar- a marking or something that to indicate their school is this. I had to report it to the organizers. Mm. Uh, ah, yeah, because you, you don't put your name on the thing. Yeah, because the instruction is you don't put a thing. You uh, put a number. You just put a number, but you don't put anything else that will give away your school or your name. 
So there was one the acronyms of the school. Okay. I gave it back to the organizer. So what I'm gonna do with this because you know I just violated the instruction. Jumped. So I had to jump it. It was never considered for judging because instructions are instructions. But to be honest, uh, when we're doing the PIA thing as judges, we don't know. We have no idea of the about the entries. Who wrote this and from what school the entry came? <laughs> okay. Now that I've been vindicated and we're talking about the awards, let's talk about the awards that Daily Guardian has had in the past yeah. year or so. Now they won. Uh, we won the uh, Philippine Press Institute Award for uh, best community paper for business and economic yeah, reporting. reporting. Yeah. And then we were nominated, I think, around how 15, maybe 15 mm, times more than, uh, for Jimea. Yeah, uh, Globe Media Excellence Award. We didn't win any award, but we were nominated. It was an honor itself to be nominated. So how does it feel for you? I mean, like, I don't actually understand the history mm. of these competitions. I don't know if in years past we've always been, always been nominated or we've always been winning. But uh, how did that feel for you? Uh, PPI is, uh, ever since the PPI has been there, I think... The award that they're giving, especially uh, including the one that they got, we got last year, uh, has been running around for oh, more than a decade already. And PPI awards are, are the winners are judged by our peers I and mean, academics, the academe. So it's not just the PPI itself, but they get academ uh, academics from Metro Manila to look over every issue that we submit to them the whole year round, the whole year. So if we run like how many copies a year? So they, they, you know, they look every copy of Daily Guardian and mm. other papers and consider them for maybe best in editorial, uh, best edited newspaper. And it so happened that in 2019, we got lucky and we were picked as the best community paper for economic and business reporting, which is something that I, I, I really personally nurtured when, when, when I joined the, uh, the paper because... Uh, uh, we saw then that Iloilo newspapers or news outlets are just more like crime stories, political stories. Mm, yes. We don't give the much, sensationalized yeah, aspects. We don't give much focus on the economics. And uh, it's actually in business reporting that Daily Guardian got traction, with, you know, got attention mm. from local leaders, not just from the political leaders, but from the business leaders. Okay, what about Jimea? And Jimea has been around for a while and uh, they act. The Globe Media Globe Excellence Awards. And, um, they always bug us to join. <laughs> Have we been nominated before as finalists? Actually, ano, uh, the thing is we submit. Mm. We are the ones who submit the best works that we can sa, to Jimea. Uh, in, the, on the, in, in the case of PPI, uh, they are the ones who go over every... They just choose. They, yeah, they just don't choose. Submit. Yeah, yeah. There are no nominations. Uh, in Jimea, we nominate our best stories. Mm. And then they decide if you make it to the finals. Yeah. Yeah. Have we had a history of making it to the finals? Um, I think... In or the have past, we had a history of submitting before? <laughs> yeah, we, we did submit before. Oh, we did submit before. Five or even more, five years ago. And the uh, good thing is we were able to make it to the finals. But of course, the competition in Cebu is very stiff. Uh, they have you know, better reporting, honestly, to be honest. They have a better way of reporting, especially in the community issues. And they have more resources. They have more people to, to tap. And uh, we'll get there, I think. We will get there. The PPI Award is one motivation that I think we will be there. What do you think is the future of journalism, especially with Iloilo City in particular or 
just the regional wise the reporting you guys i think i mean technic i mean technology wise you're very savvy and i think you have the good perspective the right perspective they say that millennials and the next generation and i forgot um, they don't really care about the world they only care about themselves but i think i've seen a lot of millennials and uh, the next uh, next generation guys who are, are pretty much ano, concerned with what's happening around uh, they have the right perspective to tell stories and uh, i think really the future now of journalism is in the internet and social media print it might slowly fizzle it might be out maybe not in the next 10 years because of certain realities um, you know publications that need to be printed on paper ordinances yeah, yeah. ordinances everything requirements by the law yeah legal requirements and everything so print would still have a niche but it will become a niche the next big thing really would be the internet uh, social media and I think um this ex- existential crisis that social media is going through, like Facebook re-examining itself after becoming a, a, a conduit of misinformation and disinformation. These are necessary things that we have to go through. And I think social media companies, advocates, should talk with journalists on how to address these issues. There is not a crux here. Now, I, I want to go back to the thing where people say that we don't care anymore. Uh, that our generation, uh, Gen Z, millennials, don't care anymore. Uh, there is some truth to that. I will say that. Here's the thing, though. In this age where we know everything, it's very difficult to care about everything. Yeah. Because we know everything. So, uh, the Taal volcano erupts, right? Then Kobe dies. I'm still, I'm still crying about Kobe's death. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the pandemic hits. And then 15 billion from PhilHealth. And then, I don't know, uh, any number of a million things that Duterte says every Monday or every week, right? The, all, sometimes you're just numb to it now. You just don't care anymore because you know that Duterte is going to keep t- t- saying these things. You know that bad things are going to happen. You know that uh, all these difficulties are just happening around you all the time, that you can't keep up with all of them. So in a sense, we kind of do don't care. But... Uh, we do our best, right? We do our best. We've cared enough that at some point you just, it just pushes you out. But if we're going to look at the context of all this, because everything that you see, because every, everybody's a journalist now, we see everything. But we don't see everything in the right context, mm-hmm. in the right framing. Yeah. Oh, that's the respon- it's not just credibility now. There's an added responsibility for every journalist to frame everything in the right context, mm-hmm that we can understand what's really going on, that we can be objective about the way we gather this information, Mm -hmm. and we understand that uh, there is a greater role to play with how you absorb the data that you get. And that's exactly why I feel like uh, not only is there a place for the dinosaurs, Mm. there is an importance in that role. It's been magnified even more so. Yeah, because for other journalists who like us who are younger and that no don't really care that much, or we're just there to to bring out the thing as fast as possible, yeah. we kind of lose sight of the difficulty that there is with uh, how how the news is received. Mm-hmm. So, with that said, how much more, how much longer 
are you go for, are you going to be a journalist for how much longer well i've always i always had plans <laughs> i plan to graduate from up in four or six years never happened i you know, uh, i plan to you know just do the guardian thing as a Mm-hmm. Transitionary phase. Yeah, transitioning thing. It never happened. I'm also, honestly, I'm also planning my retirement. You're 40. Yeah, I'm 40. I must be honest enough that, and I have to give way to them, the young guys. I, I have to look for a lot of young guys whom, whom will train and handle everything, who can cope with the current situation. And maybe my role will just be, you know, uh, just advice and you know, a bit of uh, someone looking over your shoulder. Okay. <clears throat> maybe we can go slow on that maybe we can do this thing uh, of course I want to retire I want to live <laughs> I want to travel after the pandemic <laughs> and enjoy life whatever is left <laughs> in me uh, but the bigger responsibility right now for me is really to you know, beef up our man, uh, human resource um, reporters more reporters editors because I cannot just leave the paper you know uh, as a shell, it must be you know, it must be ha- it must have the right you know right people in place. I, I'm gonna ask you a question that uh, I ask all our guests here today. So first, what does every uh, standard average day look like for you? Um, I'm lucky to have five hours of sleep a day, and Oof. every morning it's like my ra- my ears is glued to the radio for news um, with. Uh, Maybe after uh, while consuming two to three mugs of coffee, then turn on the TV. Two to three mugs of coffee. Oof. <laughs> in the morning. Oof, this is uh, in the morning. <laughs> clearly, clearly yeah. not enough. <laughs> we, we we bought uh, a big French uh, French press thing for the coffee. Then uh, next after the radio thing, TV. Then maybe go out for some you know meetings or news hunting. Then go to the office in the afternoon for desk desk work well into the night. Then go home and try to sleep for another five hours or even less. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the, the cycle is... Yes, uh, I mean... It's never ending. Uh, the cliche is you always go back to zero once you put the paper to sleep. Uh, you can rest, but your mind is like, you know, what's the news for the next issue? What's our banner headline? What will happen? That's it. So if you could give the audience that we have today... Three key takeaways or three messages before we leave. What would they be? Um, be kind to us. Be kind to us, please. Uh, you can criticize our work. That's that goes with the territory. And if we deserve that, we will acknowledge. We will correct our mistakes. And um, again, I think just help us by you know uh, leading us to the right right kind of information. By telling us the proper context of your situation. If you're in Barangay, you have problems with your water supply, electricity supply, or your infrastructure. Tell us the proper context so we can report it properly. I think uh, we can agree to disagree without being disagreeable. We don't have to threaten uh, uh, each other because we disagree on certain matters. So it's a two-way street proposition that we help you and you help us because the public is our consumer and... uh, our credibility is our currency, so um, please be kind to journalists. No <laughs> That's one. Yeah. There are two more. <laughs> two more. Um, 
two more. I think journalists themselves should re-examine themselves nowadays. Uh, we're just we're more than just you know uh, mere narrators of information or facts. We have to tell the stories that matter, uh, the stories from the fringes. So that's two. And uh, third, I think the academics should now start uh, re-examining our, uh, themselves, uh, try to address the problems of misinformation and disinformation, or the polarization of our you know, community of, of journalists. Uh, it's okay for politicians to be polarized because that's the nature of power, but for journalists to you know, to be caught in this struggle for power, that's really you know, uh, I think detrimental, not very good for the community. All right, thank you for being here, buds. Thank you, buds. And it has been an, my honor to have you here as one of the guests after pretty much uh, growing up with you as you've uh, been with us in Daily Guardian. So thank you so much. I share the honor. And there it is, the redemption arc of someone who's normally used to telling the stories of others. That, to me, is very inspirational. And to you, our viewers and listeners, thank you for being here today. If you realize that there's some passion you left behind or a craft that you've always wanted to try or an achievement that make, would make you more complete, go for it. It's never too late to make yourself happy. More of these stories every other Wednesday when we brew another episode of Coffeinated. The audio podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you get your dosage of podcasts. I'm Elsid. That's Prometheus Productions behind the camera. We're here at Courtyard by Marriott Iliilo. Take it easy and live life one coffee mug at a time. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.